As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and Little League practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schnebly and Toth. Hey, Linz, I thought we'd start with some late-breaking shallow-end news. Hit me with some late-breaking shallow-end news, my friend. Uh, this this was recently reported. It actually happened on uh, December 8th, and it was in South Carolina. I've heard of it. Yes, yeah. Um, a guy broke into somebody's house. He was going to burgle the guy's house. Right. And uh, little did he know that the home belonged to former professional wrestler Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> You had me with Hacksaw. Is it not Duggan? Or Duggan. Duggan, I'm sorry, yes. It's it's Jim Duggan. I, my Irish roots took over for a moment. Sure. Duggan! Oh, Jim, Jim Duggan. Oh, what a lovely sack of potatoes you've Always got there, Jim. Always after me, Lucky Charms. Yeah, he was, he was at home with his wife, Deborah, at the time of the uh, incident. Somebody... Uh, broke into his house. Did they use a hacksaw to get into his house? <laughs> I'm not sure if they did or not, but but he he picked up the intruder and body slammed him and then held him at gunpoint with a 44 caliber pistol until law enforcement arrived. Hell yes. <laughs> oh, that oh, delights I love me. That. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I would love to have seen that body slam on like a ring camera. Jim said, thank God we didn't shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Well, good yeah. for Hacksaw, and let that yep. be a warning, kids, that anytime you're going to break in, there might be a professional wrestler on the other side of that door. <laughs> That's a great point. Side note, uh, about 15, 20 years ago, I got to meet Hacksaw Jim Duggan. What a glorious man. Uh, Truly. And he was, he was pretty uh, intoxicated at the time. Uh-huh. Where, okay. did you, where did you meet him? I was working at a bar, ah. and he came into the bar. Interesting. And uh, one of my greatest moments of my life was when Hacksaw Jim Duggan said <laughs> I was, quote, kind of hot. Oh. <laughs> An yeah. inebriated professional wrestler yeah. once said that you were kind of hot? Kind of hot. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Did you wow. say, That's thanks, weird. Hacksaw, can I get you another? <laughs> <laughs> no, I told him he was cut off immediately. Yeah, so immediately. was he already was he already buzzed when he came into the bar, Kat? Uh, not th- I don't think so. Okay. I think, you know, he had a couple with us. But uh, once see. he said I was kind of hot, I was like, you've obviously had yeah, enough. You've reached I think your limit, he was pal. intoxicated by your looks. That's what I thought. <laughs> 
<laughs> when I lived in Tampa, and Tampa, by the way, is a hotbed for professional wrestlers. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's where uh, where the Hulkster lives and has for decades. But it's a popular place for wrestlers to live. And the person, <laughs> I don't know why. Is but it like the olden days when all the carnies would gather in the same the town? Yeah, in Sarasota. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. We lived next door to uh, somebody who had relatives that were, I, I, they were friends with uh, the wrestling tag team, the Nasty Boys. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. And so they were having a big party at their house and the whole street was lined up with these fancy cars, you know, nasty one, nasty two. Sure. Uh, and the whole neighborhood was just full of professional wrestlers. And and I wasn't expecting that uh, until I came out into my yard and uh, Tugboat was playing basketball with my boys. <laughs> Which sounds like a euphemism. It's true, it <laughs> does. One of the nasty boys, his name is Brian Nobbs, and I love that. That's Nobbs. a great name. That's yeah. a great name. Nobbs. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think you go first, Linz. Do I really? Your, your turn, my All friend. Right. I love that about myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this story starts way back in 1896, Ooh. specifically September 15th, 1896, two locomotives... 14 miles north of Waco, Texas, crashed into each other head-on. Locomotives' boilers exploded on impact, sent debris flying through the air for hundreds and hundreds of yards, killed at least two spectators, maimed dozens, if not hundreds of others. One man even lost his eye to a flying bolt that came rocketing off one of the locomotives. But nobody ran from this calamity. In fact, after the crash, thousands of people ran toward these destroyed locomotives. Why would they do such a foolish thing? Hoping to claim a piece of the wreckage. JG, you, uh, as always, have crystallized the nut (laughs) of the story and gone to the most obvious question, why? My nuts are crystallized. (laughs) It has been cold here lately. (laughs) That's because the 40,000 or so people scattered along the tracks on that September day knew the locomotives were going to crash and, in fact, had paid to witness it. Okay, I read something about this. What? From 18... Yeah, this was a thing. This was a huge thing. From 1896 until the 1930s, staged train wrecks (laughs) were a popular albeit destructive event at fairs and festivals. This happened all around the U.S. Uh, and, you know, long before monster trucks came came into being. <laughs> Weren't they concerned they were going to run out of trains? I think they were making so much money hand over fist, they didn't care. Uh. One of the very first staged train wrecks was done in 1895 by a railroad equipment salesman, a guy named A.L. Streeter. How's that for a, how's that for a cool name? <laughs> and it, this was the very first one, and it, it uh, became the blueprint that everybody else would follow for the next 40 years. Here's what they would do. The organizers would lay out a stretch of track, usually anywhere from uh, like a third of a mile to a mile long. And then they would get two steam <laughs> locomotives, old, you know, kind of broken down locomotives, and put them at the far end of the track facing each other. So it was kind of like a demolition derby where exactly. they would they would use the shitty old trains. Exactly. <laughs> Got now, it. the okay. only thing is, your logical question number two is going to be, well, 
how are you going to get these trains chugging toward each other at full speed? What they would do would be to hire two freelance locomotive engineers. <laughs> and the organizer would be standing in the middle of the track, dead center, where both these engineers could see him. And he would drop a flag the engineers would pull the throttles back as far as they could to get the locomotives up to speed. And then Wiley Coyote-like would jump out from the trains. Oh my God. And the they trains, would leap from they a They would leap from a speeding train to get the hell out of there because they knew what was going to go on. And then the trains oh. would crash in front of that crowd who had usually paid a few dollars to see wow. the spectacle. So think about that. 40000 People, if they have paid $2 each, that's $80,000 in 1895 96. Think about that. That's big dough. There's a book by an author named James Reisdorf. It's called The Man Who Wrecked 146 <laughs> Locomotives. <laughs> now, this guy Streeter's wreck was so it's successful. It's a literal name. Isn't it? <laughs> That would be that would be a wonderful epitaph for the man, wouldn't it? Yeah. Wrecked, Wrecked 146 locomotives. Oh, was working okay. on number 147 when he died. His his wreck um Streeter's wreck was so successful. He did six more the next year, including one north of Waco known as the Crash at Crush. And they named it that because it was the brainchild of William George Crush. So it's kind of like the uh, the thriller in Manila. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Even back then they loved they loved them some rhymes. <laughs> this would later go on to if it doesn't fit you must acquit, but that's a whole other uh, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. So the right. Katy Railroad had been kind of struggling to regain financial prosperity. And this guy, Crush, William Crush, came up with this idea, what if we jump onto this newfangled idea of, of crashing two locomotives and said, we're going to charge two bucks and, uh, you know, it's, it's Katie bar the door. So he got two old steam locomotives, painted one red, the other green. They built a track between three hillsides to form kind of a natural amphitheater. He expected a crowd of 20,000 people. And in fact, he actually built a temporary town around this and named it Crush. And he borrowed a circus tent and built a restaurant, (laughs) built a wooden jail in case people were going to get out of hand. He even hired 200 freelance police officers, constables of the peace, to keep the peace. So he was predicting, I'll probably get 20,000 people, but instead he got 40,000 people. And it actually made that, at least for a few hours, Crush, Texas became the second largest city in Texas. Wow. (laughs) Unbelievable. So at 5.10 p.m., Crush climbs on his horse, rides to the spot between the two trains at the wave of his hat. These trains start barreling toward each other, and the locomotives reached 50 miles per hour before colliding. One witness described the terror. I love old old newspaper articles. There was a swift instance of silence, and then, as if controlled by a single impulse, both boilers exploded simultaneously. The air was filled with great flying missiles of iron and steel varying in size from a postage stamp to half a driving wheel. And a Civil War veteran who was there 
You know, said, I was hoping that you would do a voice, and I'm so, so glad you did. Oh, it's very satisfying. Yeah. Thank you. You're, you're yeah. a peach. Uh, one of the witnesses was a Civil War veteran who had been to the Battle of Gettysburg, had been in the Battle of Gettysburg, and he said that train collision was more terrifying than anything <laughs> he had seen during oh the Civil God. War. Yeah, I watched 40,000 of my comrades <laughs> bleed out in, in Gettysburg. Yeah, but this train <laughs> thing, man, I don't know if I can handle that <laughs> this was rough Before- sidebar you mentioned gettysburg so that that's an open door for me mm. sure uh how big do you think the battlefield of gettysburg was boy oh boy oh boy this is one of them fancy trick questions for the uneducated this is what he does to me all day all every the time. day and you're yeah. like hey jg it's three in the fucking morning could we get <laughs> some sleep i don't know i'm gonna guess um because I've heard about it my whole life and that many people died. I'm going to guess like uh, football fields, like hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, acres. 25 square miles. Wow. When you say battlefield, you think of, you know, like a like a field, like a, a soccer pitch. Like or a something. clearing of some sort. Yeah. No, 25 square miles. Holy moly. Wow. That's amazing. Mm. Mm-hmm. We now return you to Lindsay's story. Oh, I don't know if I can continue after that. My little little brain is is scrambled. So prior to this particular event, Crush had gone, as you would expect, to a number of engineers, train engineers, and said, hey, what's what's the danger here? And amazingly, all of them but one said, oh, you're fine. You're fine. There was one engineer who said, "Uh, this explosion is really dangerous. People could be killed. And they were... They were just not going to hear it. It was like, ah, make yourself scarce, Mr. Naysayer. We know what we're talking about. So, right. You're like that one dentist that doesn't recommend Trident, and we don't believe you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Crush was perhaps the most well known train wrecker, but a guy named Joe Conley saw what Crush was doing and went on to, to stage more than 70 wrecks, and he earned the nickname. Head on Joe. Isn't that great? (laughs) (laughs) Better than head off Joe. So he began to crisscross the country, putting on wrecks. And and when we say coast to coast, this was from Boston to Los Angeles, from Tampa, give it up again for Tampa, to Salt Lake City. Wow. And he actually took it up a notch. He, He stepped up the game. He thought, well, if if just the gasoline in these locomotives explodes like this what could i do to add even more impact no so he came up with the idea of strapping dynamite (laughs) to the front of the locomotives and then he filled the freight cars behind the engines with gasoline and hot coals oh my god so the vehicles would be engulfed in flames after they derailed wow and they even started you know, kind of naming these these trains. Like in 1932, the the different the the uh, race for president was Hoover versus Roosevelt. So he painted one Hoover and the other Roosevelt. Well, there you go. Just to you know drum up some extra drama. <laughs> but by the 1930s, straight stage train wrecks were starting to lose their popularity because I guess. After a while, everything gets old. Right. Plus, all those people had lost their eyes yeah. to shrapnel, <laughs> you got so those, they couldn't see anymore. All those people getting 
getting all hurdy like right. <laughs> yes Connolly yep. put on his final train wreck at the iowa state fair in 1932 and according to this book after the, the destructive display and again people you know maimed hurt by flying debris because they were standing so close to watch this Connolly said to no one in particular well that's that and he walked away <laughs> That's that. <laughs> That's that. Wow. So it's just, it's amazing to me, and maybe this is just the human condition, you've paid to be there, which I, I mean, I get, you know, it's it's sort of like us paying to go to the Super Bowl or a WWE event or, right, right. A, a, you know, monster truck rally or a hockey game. You know that there's a chance somebody's going to get hurt. But back in ni- 1896, you actually stand there and you see people get hit and burned and killed with flying debris and you still think, I think it's safe for me to run up to the explosion and try and grab a piece of metal or something off this burning train. I want in on this. Yeah. Wow. Just amazing. This came appropriately enough from uh, Atlas Obscura. Everyone was surprised. Great, uh, great resource. I'm thinking about what you were you had mentioned earlier, like in 1930 or whenever it was when he painted one train Hoover and the other train Roosevelt. Right. If you did that today and, you know, whatever train you were pulling for, if that's the one that lost, people would overthrow the train station or attempt to anyway. (laughs) Yeah. That train wreck was stolen. (laughs) They didn't actually explode. That's just what the mainstream media wants you to believe. Lamestream. Lamestream. You know, it reminds me of something that could have very well been a horrible shallow end moment for for me. Years ago, I dreamt up this idea for a radio station promotion. We gave away like a five-year lease on a vehicle, and I thought it would be really cool. What we would do is we would get a like a 100-foot crane, and we would haul a junk car to the top of it and then paint a grid underneath of it and number the grid and give away spaces in a contest, and then whatever space most of the wreckage landed in, they would win the lease to the new car. That's a great idea. Well, I thought it was made for TV, and apparently it was. Everybody covered it, and uh, newspapers were there. And I was just so excited that this vision I had was about to take place. (sighs) They raise the car to the top Uh of the crane. Oh, no. People start running toward the concrete berms. No. 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 And then they release it. And about halfway down, I'm thinking, my career is over. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be sued for everything I own. Um, Fortunately, no one was hurt. uh, And it was really kind of anticlimactic. The car just kind of went pump and sunk into the sod. I should have put some dynamite in it. There you go. I think of it. That's where you went wrong. So did somebody somebody actually win then the the lease? Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I was prepared for you to say people jumped over the concrete berm and raced for the spot where they thought the junked car was going to land. But I guess <laughs> I was afraid of that. I'm going to catch it. <laughs> I was afraid this that one's that's mine. exactly what was going to happen. My junk car. My junk car. And we had stress cut the car, too, so it would fall apart. And it didn't. But but that thought entered my mind as the car was about 25 percent of the way down. Oh, my God. It's going to it's going to explode. And there's just going to be twisted steel wreckage embedding itself in people's neck. Sure. I like how you go for the neck. 
because that's a very, very visual vulnerable. I mean, when you said that, I kind of winced like, oh, Mm -hmm. my neck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anything but the neck. Fortunately, no one was maimed. Wow. The end. You're in the shallow end with Schnapley and Toth. This winter season's been rough on people's health. And even some cases of COVID can feel just like a bad cold or flu. Sure, you've got Dayquil and Nyquil. But what if you need more than that because you're also a narcissist and think everything in the world's about you? Introducing Dayquil and Nyquil NARC, the cold and flu remedy formulated just for narcissists. In addition to fighting the usual symptoms of cold and flu, Day and Nyquil NARC gives you an exaggerated feeling of your own importance. You can still walk in any room and instantly think you're the biggest hero or the biggest victim there. Are people still looking at you as the only one that matters? Yep. Are people lucky to have you talking to them? They sure are. Do people see you as weaker because you caught a cold? Never. You caught that cold to save the rest of us because you're taking new Dayquil and NyQuil NARC, the only medicine made just for narcissists. New Dayquil and NyQuil NARC should not be taken by people with a realistic self-image or feelings of inadequacy. We all know the world revolves around you, and new Dayquil and NyQuil NARC proves it. Ask your doctor if Dayquil and NyQuil NARC is right for you. You know what? Never mind. If you're a narcissist, you're smarter than your doctor anyway. New Dayquil and NyQuil NARC. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history. If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir to zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We're promoting your self-esteem through other people's stupidity. You're in the shallow end with Schnippley and Toff. 
Our email address, as always, is lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. And we want to thank you guys because you have been, just in the past few weeks, really shoveling the emails into us at a breakneck pace. (laughs) I was trying to allude back to the train there. See, I was picturing shoveling emails like shoveling coal into a burner. See? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see? So a woman uh, named Maddie writes... uh, My name's Maddie. I'm a huge fan of your podcast and have been meaning to send you my most embarrassing story for a long time. To set the stage a little, it's important to note that my father is a pediatric neurologist. When I was in grade four, I struggled a lot with math. And on the day in question, I had a big exam. Problem is, I didn't study. I was procrastinating as much as I possibly could on this particular morning. And right as we were about to leave for school, I told my dad I just had to go to the bathroom. As I was sitting there going through my own little existential crisis, I had possibly the most amazingly brilliant idea anyone had ever had. (laughs) I knew in order to make this plan work, I had to turn the acting up to 1,000, and I proceeded to scream through my bathroom door that I couldn't get off the toilet because, quote, my legs weren't working. (laughs) Now, it's important to note here that in my little mind, I had no idea what the implications were of no longer being able to feel or move your legs. I simply assumed that my parents would believe my legs had, quote, fallen asleep, unquote. But this isn't what had happened. After about an hour, seriously, it was that long, of yelling back and forth to my father, who didn't believe me yet, he finally (laughs) caved in, sent my mom in to lift me off the toilet. Now I knew my plan was foiled. Now I would just be late for school, but I would still have to write that exam. <laughs> so when my mom went to set me down on the floor, I crumpled into the most pathetic bob on the ground I could possibly muster. Now my dad believed me. Keep in mind, he's a pediatric neurologist, right? Ah, uh, okay. Not only did he believe me, but he went into full panic mode. And before I even knew what was happening, we were racing to the hospital because, quote, I might be having a stroke. Still not <laughs> grasping the severity of the crisis that was unfolding around me I thought I had struck gold I was going to miss the exam so I leaned into my act even more I started saying my head hurts my stomach hurts I can't see very well I thought this is what having the flu was like so when we arrive at the hospital my dad ran inside to the ER carrying me over his shoulder and this is when it clicked that something was amiss after a brain scan several specialist appointments and a lot of fear on my poor parents part The neurologist in charge of my care told my parents that, unfortunately, there's no way to know for sure whether I'd had a stroke or not. I knew the truth. I'm now 30 years old, and my father still believes (laughs) that in grade four, I had a mini stroke. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. Maybe for Christmas this year, I'll tell him that I never had a stroke, but I felt so guilty for this my entire life that I could never bring myself to tell him. Oh, Oh, by the way, I still had to do the exam, but my teacher gave me extra time and helped me do the questions because I may have just suffered a stroke. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Love the show. Maddie. See, that's that's wonderful. What a great story. Yeah. Now. When you and I, Linz, did a radio morning show together, this is the kind of story we would get Maddie on the phone and then we'd have her call her father and confess it to her exactly. live on the air. Exactly. I wish we had that capabilities nowadays. Yeah. I just really like the idea that we are becoming a secrets kind of podcast. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, well, you know, I want to know your secrets. That's what struck me. I thought, isn't it interesting that after, th- you know, this was 30 years 
a well she was she's now 30 she was probably tw- uh, six seven when this happened so she's been burdened by this for over two decades and somehow she thinks <laughs> i don't need to talk to a therapist i'll write an email to the shallow end <laughs> well maddie your secret is safe with us it is safe with us but to your point if your dad listens to the the shallow end you are so screwed <laughs> still merry christmas and thanks for writing to repeat lifeguard at shallow and very quickly here's one more and i'm reading this as a tribute to my lovely wife nancy who is a hardcore minnesota vikings fan <sighs> robbie in renton washington writes hello friends i've been listening to this wonderful podcast from the beginning this whole time i've been putting off choosing a favorite member of the show as it's been too difficult to decide. However, during a recent episode, some information came to light that made it crystal clear. Nancy is now far and away my favorite of you four. <laughs> Aside from creating spectacular voiceover content for the podcast, she's she has impeccable taste in professional football teams. Yeah, there you I go. know she truly is a fellow Vikings fan as she shared the same skepticism of the Viking success as the rest of us have. We've seen this movie before. It always ends the same way with much swearing and tears. I suppose you guys are pretty cool too. Thank you for all the work that all of you do, Robbie. <laughs> that's that's very nice of you, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie, and, and Skull. Go Vikes. Skull. We just uh we 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 are recording this right after that amazing comeback over the uh Colts. Uh what an amazing, incredible historic moment that must have felt like for Vikings fans. The single greatest comeback in the history of the NFL. Unreal. Well, okay, I want you to uh, to join me on a little journey, if, if you would. We're going to go back to 2004 in Jacksonville, Florida. Mine went back farther, but go on. <laughs> really, actually, any story that includes the words jacksonville in florida in the opening sentence you know it's going to be interesting yeah it's uh, it's sit down and pull yourself a cold one this one's going to be good a guy named shannon shannon kramer 35 years at the time uh had a girlfriend now i don't know what kind of a relationship they had the news articles that i found really didn't go into too much detail but one thing i do know is that shannon was a bit of a prankster and on this particular night... Oh, my God. Did she not drift off to sea? Well, Shannon's a guy. <laughs> oh. yeah. Kat, thank you so much for saying that, because I almost said that when he first said Shannon, and I thought, yeah. that's too obscure. Nobody's going to get that. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> Thanks. So Shannon's sitting around, I'm guessing, at, uh, at Shannon's uh, kitchen table, trying to come up with a prank to pull on his girlfriend. Now, again, I'm not privy to the thought process involved in how he came to the decision to pull this particular prank, but I sure wish I had been. Um, it was the night of March 29th, 2004. I'm guessing Shannon, again, sitting around his table trying to think up the perfect prank. And after looking around his house and taking inventory on what he had for prank props, uh, his eyes fell upon a pile of fireworks and skyrockets that he had. Oh, many Christmas. What better way to prank someone than with an incendiary device, I've always said. <laughs> so Shannon selects a six-inch rocket from the pile and began devising his plan. Having, select, having selected uh, his pranking prop of choice, he, he came up with this delivery method, a stunt so outlandish that it would shock and amaze his girlfriend. After what I'm sure was careful consideration on Shannon's part, uh, Shannon thought, 
that perhaps the best way to dispatch this skyrocket to create maximum shock and awe was to launch it from his moving Ford Mustang as he sped by his girlfriend's house. Perfect. Just perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's a bit after 9 p.m. Shannon collects all of his tools that he needs to pull off this outrageous prank. He loads them into the back of his Ford Mustang and slowly backs out of the driveway. He then points the car toward his girlfriend's neighborhood. Now, I'm sure as he's driving, he's working it out in his head, you know, the whole trajectory and tracking of his projectile based on the speed of his vehicle and the target location. I mean, he's not an idiot about this, right? Yeah, no, no. His plan actually was just roll the window down and light the fuse. Um, So (laughs) he gets to his girlfriend's neighborhood. The moment of truth quickly approaching. He approaches the front of his girlfriend his girlfriend's house. He reaches over, he picks up the 6-inch rocket. He rolls his window down and he lights the fuse. 6-inch rocket. <laughs> now the funny thing about fireworks, sometimes the fuses look long and it gives you the false impression that you have plenty of time to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. That was not the case with Shannon's 6-inch rocket. <laughs> Wait, was Shannon from the song also a boy? (laughs) Shannon was a dog. I don't know if it was. The question still stands. I don't know. I couldn't. All I I know know. is she always loved to swim away. And and apparently she did. Yeah. You know, maybe she'll find an island with a a shaded tree, just like the one in our backyard. I didn't know what they were talking about when they said one in our backyard until like the snow melted. (laughs) And then I knew what it was that Shannon was leaving. Yeah. Anyway, so he grabs his six inch rocket. And he lit the fuse, and it burned quickly down to his its uh, ignition point before uh-huh. he had a chance to launch it out the window. Oh, dear. So the, so the rocket ignited inside Shannon's Ford Mustang. Mm. And once again, as if from a Wiley Coyote cartoon, we keep referencing that for a reason. Right. The rocket ricocheted around inside the car, bouncing <laughs> off the roof and the windows and the windshield. Oh, no. Until it plunged into its resting place, Shannon's crotch. Well, it is a six-inch rocket. (laughs) And then it exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Just take a moment to picture that. He lights this rocket in his car. It goes off. It's going ping, ping, pong, ping, pong, ricocheting around the inside of it. It then goes right into his crotch and blows up. Neighbors said they saw a flash and heard a commotion. They looked out the window just in time to see a Ford Mustang screech to a halt with smoke pouring out of its windows. Obviously concerned, they raced out to investigate and found Shannon inside the car on fire. Oh, my God. Thinking quickly, they doused the flames and pulled Shannon from his car to find a man who was burned from his waist to his toes, his eyelashes and most of his body hair totally gone, and he had the outline of a pair of sandals burned into his feet. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Get to the point. What happened to his junk? <gasps> <laughs> oh, we'll get there. <clears throat> Shannon told a reporter, I thought I was dead. I couldn't see or hear. I couldn't walk. When the rocket had gone off, the flash had temporarily blinded Shannon. And that was probably a good thing because it kept him from seeing the extent of the damage to his groinal region. Um, Kramer suffered second-degree burns in his crotch 
and had a cut on one of his legs. No detailed description of the blast area, but second-degree burns, that's all we need to know. Yeah, that's all you need to know. Kramer later told the uh, Florida Times Union in Jacksonville that the rocket, which resembled a bottle rocket, was about the diameter of a golf ball. Mm -hmm. Kramer said, quote, I had a couple, but this one was the biggest. (laughs) No more of those. (laughs) Jacksonville police reported to the scene of the explosion at 9.30 p.m. Initially, they were told that a man had been threatening his girlfriend with a bomb, but Kramer insisted that he was only playing a prank and had just intended to fire the rocket out the window as he passed. Police, just to be safe, referred the case to the state attorney's office, but prosecutors declined to charge Kramer, according to police spokesman Ken Jefferson. Yeah, Shan, probably, I wonder what his, what his girlfriend's reaction to all of this was. Probably not very good on several levels. I'm guessing he wasn't prosecuted because setting off a firework with intent to maim one's own junk <laughs> is not a crime in Florida. No, it is other states, no. but not no. not Florida. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the few statutes that doesn't include the word junk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's priceless. I'm just grateful he didn't ask somebody to blow the flames out. There you go. Hello. <laughs> I, uh, for some reason, when you said Ford Mustang, I was hoping it was a convertible because I thought <laughs> if you've got the top down, you've got a shot at pulling this off. All right. But no. But no, apparently. Nope. Uh, it was no. a coupe. Yeah. I think a fastback. At least he rolled down the window. (laughs) At least he did. We've had stories where that was somehow omitted. Yeah. My my source information, the Ocala Star banner in the Florida Times Union. Priceless. Yeah. Shannon is gone. But maybe you'll find an island with a shady tree. Um wait, does the dog die? Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, It's about a dead dog. No. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that song. Shannon is gone. I hope she's drifting out to sea. Yeah. Why would you hope that? Did she drown? She loved to this sail. This terrible. You don't understand. She loved to sail away. So he was just hoping that she'd find an island with a shady tree. All right. Well, like the one in, the, in his backyard. Let's wrap this up. Okay. It doesn't, It you know, the very, if I remember right, the very first lines are, another day is at end. Mama says she's tired again. Right off the bat, you think, Hmm. I don't think this is a happy house. No, no. And then the next line, no one can even begin to tell her. I think, okay, here we go. (laughs) Hit the next song. Yeah. That was about Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys dog. I did not know that. Yes. And the harmonies in the back, Henry Gross was the artist who, from his album, those of you who don't know. Yes, right. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it was a number one record in the mid-70s. 1976, and, uh, I think. I remember somehow associating yep. it with uh, like Bicentennial era. Yeah, yeah, about that same time. And uh, it was about Brian uh, Wilson's dog who had just died. And the Beach Boys are the ones who do the backing vocals, the I harmonies. I cannot believe I didn't know that until now. Yeah, we'll listen to it next time. And God, like I need another reason to loves me some JG, huh, Cat? <laughs> <laughs> this is what Cat's life must be like every hour of every All day. All the time. Yeah. It's magical. Yeah. How did I not know that? <laughs> she she says thrilled. again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for hanging out with us, you guys. Uh, we've got an email that you can write to at any time. Um, it's lifeguard at shallowendpodcast.com. Uh, we website, the website, of course, is shallowendpodcast.com. 
Patreon.com. And uh, we appreciate your uh, patronage. We'll see you next time. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to make good choices. Your life might depend on it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast, give these boys a five-star rating, and think of something nice to say, even if you have to make something up. And visit us online at shallowendpodcast.com. All content copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine, and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask. Just trust us. Okay, gotta go. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.